Hello, and welcome to Live Like the World is Dying, your podcast for what feels like the end times. I'm your host, Margaret Kildroy, and I use she or they pronouns. And today we're going to talk about something that everyone has requested. Just kidding. No one actually bothers to request this because they don't know they need it. Um, no, that's actually not true. People actually have requested this. We're going to be talking about conflict mediation, and we're going to be talking about when conflict mediation is and isn't the way to handle different types of situations. And we'll be talking to Cassandra about that. And I'm very excited to hear what they have to say. This podcast is a proud member of the Channel Zero Network of Anarchist Podcasts. And here's a jingle from another show in the network. Da, 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 da. The Final Straw is a weekly anarchist radio show. It's fucking awesome. And you're never going to hear me say fucking awesome on our show because right. we're FCC regulated. There's a, a black part of my heart that that just flutters when you when you talk like that. I... I... <laughs> Talk, then more yelling. It's a weird sort of like nice thing in a way, but also can get kind of crushing at times. The final straw radio dot noblogs.org. Okay, if you could introduce yourself with your name, your pronouns, and then I guess kind of your background, both professionally and non-professionally with what we're going to be talking about today with conflict mediation. Yeah. Uh, my name is Cassandra. I use they or she pronouns. I'm a volunteer mediator at a community mediation center. I trained in mediation. What year is it right now? I don't know. Eight years ago? <laughs> it's 2022 right now. Nine years ago, something like that. <laughs> Um, and I also worked at, at my local mediation center at the beginning of the pandemic as, um, program coordinator for one of the counties. So what is conflict mediation? This is when, when you don't like someone, you, um, just respond passive aggressively to them and, or cancel them, right? Yep. And block them on Twitter. Mm -hmm. That's important. <laughs> Conflict mediation is, is where a third party is called in to be present during discussion about a conflict. So in its most basic form, that could mean asking a friend who isn't like a stakeholder in a conflict to come sit in while you talk with someone who you have issues with through the mediation center, like on a, on an organizational level, we <clears throat> deal with all different sorts of conflicts. So, community conflicts, like neighbors disputing property lines. Mm -hmm. We also do family mediation, parenting stuff, things like that. We do a certain amount of mediations through the court system. So people in my area can opt to do mediation instead of going to like small claims court, which is pretty cool. So like if you're mad at your neighbor for hitting your car with their bicycle, I don't know. That's not a good example. <laughs> Instead of suing them, you can like go hash it out with someone. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. But how do you then maximize your personal profit? <laughs> well, <laughs> that's a good question. I mean, I, the chance, if you go before a judge, there's a chance that they'll say, Nope, you don't get this money. Whereas in mediation, you get to talk to the person and explain to them why you need the money and they explain to you why they can't pay the money and then you work out a plan which usually benefits both people 
well, it just doesn't lead very easily to feeling righteous and uh, better than everyone. Though. So it seems like a disadvantage. Yeah. I mean, I think if you want to feel righteous, you should probably just sue someone and, oh, okay, cool. and not worry about mediation. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so what were you um, going to say before I said weird, <laughs> sarcastic things? The, the center where I work also has this really cool program where we do restorative justice processes for um, youth offenders. So rather than going through the usual punitive process, some juvenile offenders have the option to do restorative justice instead. Can you give me an example of that? Like not a John did this, but a like what that might look like? Yeah. Um, let me think. I have to be vague. So I'm remembering a case where one teenager punched another teenager at like the, I think they were at the movies or something. This was pre-pandemic and was charged with assault. And so rather than having to go through a punitive process and have that assault charge on their record, they had the option to do this restorative process instead. So that would look like sitting down with the person who was harmed or with a proxy, we use proxies as well, if the victim doesn't want to be present, and talking about the impact of their actions and then coming up with a plan for making amends, which can be really varied. Like it can it can be as simple as like, I will go to therapy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or it can be direct remediation, like I will pay you money or do yard work for you know, it people get really creative. Um <laughs> But it's a cool option. Okay. I, what is the difference between, outside of a, a legal or court system, what is the difference between conflict mediation and restorative justice? Like when is one thing appropriate and when is the other thing appropriate? Yeah. I think of mediation as a part, like an aspect of larger alternative justice processes. So it's like a tool you can use in alternative justice processes. But alternative justice processes are intended for instances where harm has been caused. So it's not just a you and me on equal footing having a conflict or a disagreement. Actual harm has been done. Does that make sense? Yeah. So like basically, if I'm trying to, if if someone within my same social circle sexually assaults me, and then I... um, I don't want to go and sit down and have a like samey samey conversation with them about like how we all have feelings instead mm-hmm. I can instead restorative justice is the more appropriate thing than specifically uh, mediation in that circumstance is that what you're saying yeah or probably transformative justice but yeah it what's the, the difference sure so sorry no that's fine um restorative justice was developed i think in the 70s i want to say And that's what the mediation center where I work, um, that's what we use in conjunction with the court system. And it's dealing more with individuals. So this individual has harmed that individual and we're going to figure out how to make amends as best as possible between the two of them. Um, Transformative justice, I think was developed in the nineties and it's a more systemic approach. So it's acknowledging that people often cause harm um, because of trauma, because of a lack of resources. We, you know, it, it acknowledges that we're all a part of these larger systems of oppression. 
And so through this transformative process, it seeks to heal both people. Often communities are brought in as part of that as well. Okay. So like everyone who's involved with the thing shows up and, and has a, a say in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe not for all parts, but you know, the hope is to bring in as many people as possible because the idea is that that creates more sustainable change. So how does one, how does one go about doing this, right? Like um, to focus maybe more on mediation than uh, uh, restorative and transformative justice. We obviously within our communities come up with like ad hoc means quite often. And we just sort of try weird things all the time. And sometimes those things don't work very well, like passive aggressive notes or, uh, you know. Wash your dishes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. Um, You know, like, how does one do this? Like, if if I'm starting to feel like I'm either having conflict with someone that I'm in community with, or I'm watching a a conflict develop within the community that I'm part of, you know, what are some steps to, to notice that that's happening and work to resolve it? I feel like that shouldn't be a big question, but it is <laughs> because we're <laughs> so conditioned to be conflict avoidant, mm-hmm. not just on an interpersonal level, but like society, you know, we live in a part of liberal democracy, part of representative de- democracy is, is like creating these abstractions when it comes to conflict and creating institutions to deal with it instead of even acknowledging that the conflict exists. Now I have to remember what your question was. So what the fuck do you do when you're like really pissed off that your roommate won't do the dishes and is like snubbing you at parties and is pretending like you don't exist. Uh, But they think that it's happening because you borrowed their guitar without asking. (laughs) I mean, Mediation doesn't have to be a big formal thing, right? Like you can just ask a mutually trusted friend to be, well, first of all, you can just talk to them. <laughs> so, so mediation mm-hmm. is just Interesting. Like a, tool, a tool in our toolkit, <laughs> but there's something about having a third person present who isn't like a stakeholder in a conflict. And even if they don't say anything, just having a third person present and witnessing is sometimes really helpful. One of my favorite mediators at the center rarely says anything. He just has this presence. He'll sit there with his hands labeled and just like exist. And somehow people are like, oh, well, shit, now I have to. Just like quietly <laughs> judging you? No, just like holding this like calm space. He's, yeah. He's quietly cute. judging you. Because like, well, no, but not in a bad way, right? Because like, yes. if I'm like, if I feel really like justified and, you know, like, blah, 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 blah. But then as soon as I realize I'm saying it to a third party, I'm like, oh, this might not make sense. Like when I say it to a third party. Yeah. Yeah. No. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And anyone can do that. Right. Anyone who isn't a stakeholder and who's comfortable being around conflict can be in that role. Obviously there's more that you can do to like develop those skills. That's why trainings and mediation centers exist most of the time i've tried to do this it's gone very badly uh, when i've tra- been asked to mediate things 
but I think that's usually because the people, because I did everything right and uh, the people involved <laughs> did everything wrong. Um, but it, it seems like people got really defensive and kind of entrenched in their positions and it stayed a really like, no, I'm right, fuck you, no, I'm right, fuck you kind of thing. How do you break that up? Yeah. Have you heard of the analogy of like, if you draw a heart on a piece of paper and place it between two people and they're like standing on opposite sides of it and ask them to describe what they see, they're going to describe totally different things, but they're looking at the same image, you know? Oh, because it's like not symmetrically positioned between them? Yes. Okay. I think that... Well, first of all, I think it's okay for people to just not agree, <laughs> right? Um, part of getting over our conflict avoidance as a society, I think, is acknowledging that, like, we're not going to agree. And that's not only okay, but positive. Like, we need to have people around us who we disagree with in order to, like, examine our own opinions and things like that. But the second thing is that conflict isn't bad or scary. I feel like part of people's fear around not agreeing with someone is that the assumption is that if you and I don't agree, then we can't have any sort of relationship or function. Right. <laughs> like we're so conflict avoidant that if we don't agree, we just simply can't function. Oh yeah, totally. Is, and then we just like ice each other out completely. Yeah. Which is really common and unfortunate. And obviously like there, it, I'm going to disagree with a Nazi, right? Right. And we're not just going to agree to disagree, but I'm going to ice them out. But that doesn't have to be the case for everything. <laughs> no, that makes sense. I kind of, <laughs> I kind of do this thing where I have like one set of values that I hold myself to and one set of values that I hold other people to, hmm. you know? So like, I'm trying to come up with a good value to, to use this for. I don't know. I don't want to get, okay. So like, but if there's, if there's something that I believe I shouldn't do, it doesn't necessarily mean, even though I kind of in the abstract, I wish no one would do it. Like, okay, like lying, right? Like I'm, I have a very uh, strong sense of um, never lying to anyone that you're not uh, sure. trying to control or hurt, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, I will like live or die by this as a, as a person, but I recognize that not everyone I, I surround myself with holds the same value and it like rubs me the wrong way but I can agree to disagree about it because I, I recognize that this is a, a value that is not shared by everyone and that I'm on my own like wingnut paladin kick or whatever. And, <laughs> but then, yeah, like there's other values, like, you know, don't be um, like, I don't know, don't be a fucking like racist or whatever, or like, don't be a fucking Nazi that are, I don't know. Is that kind of what you're, Kind of what you're saying, like yeah. learning to have different standards for yourself versus other people, or I guess that's not just the only way to, how do you, how do you personally decide which things you are allowed to disagree about and which things you're not allowed to disagree about? Oh, I don't feel like I'm in total agreement with anyone, like literally mm -hmm. anyone. And that's great because yeah. <laughs> the world would be really fucking boring if I was, there's this, there's this, um, essay called in defense of shoot am i going to forget it while in we're recording defense in defense in, no in defense of arguing okay like an anarchist theory 
of arguing or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And the author talks about these like larger things, like how social democ- how the how liberal democracy mm-hmm. uh, as a larger structure encourages us to to not be in direct communication and to avoid conflict. Well, okay, so how does this? I, I guess my question is like, okay, we know that Nazis are on the far end of one, you know, like a, the God gave us Nazis so that we have enemies. <laughs> Um, you know, there's this like pure representation of bad, right? That most of society used to agree on and is no longer the case, but like we have this pure representation of bad over on one end. And then you have like, you know, uh, John borrows my guitar without asking sometimes and thinks it's okay that he does. Or someone is, has a different interpretation of some political analysis or, you know, like, like shit that I might feel really directly, personally, strongly about, but is at the end of the day, not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so the, is the answer everyone's just gonna draw those lines in different places? That's my instinct, is everyone's gonna draw the lines of like, well, I can be in community with someone who, I don't know, like sometimes is a grouchy libertarian on some issues, uh, or some other people will be like, oh, I can be in community with, uh, marxists or something right and then mm-hmm. other people will be like no we've seen where marxism leads to so fuck them mm-hmm. and so people are going to draw these lines in different places is yes. it just it's just all right that people are going to draw those lines in different places yes and that thank you yeah so it's all right that people are going to draw those lines in different places and that reminds me why i brought up that ha, article excellent. which mm-hmm. is that um not only is it okay to draw those lines but having actual dialogue about where we draw those lines and why and mm-hmm. how they might be different from where other people draw those lines is ultimately productive. No, uh, that makes sense. Because that's how we, you know, interrogate our own boundaries, right? And our yeah. own ideology. That was interesting. I was like, I was thinking it was gonna be very like nuts and bolts episode where we like talk about like really specific practices, but I mean, we can, but <laughs> no, we should do that too. But I, but I really like thinking about this stuff around, yeah, the how we build diverse communities and how we avoid, uh, I, you know, I would argue that echo chambers are one of the things that destroys um, communities of resistance more effectively than even sometimes outside pressure. Um, you know, as soon as everyone yeah. starts, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that like moral homogeneity is also what leads to these like fundamentalist movements that we're opposing, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, And then yet like people are like, well, you know, you can't let something, something in because it's a slippery slope. And I'm on, I'm on this like crusade against slippery slope as a useful (laughs) phrase because, um, well, it's a useful phrase. Be like, Hey, that's a slippery slope should mean like, so be careful when you walk it, not like board it up, none shall enter. Like, you know, maybe like put handholds along the way to like help people like navigate complicated ethical terrain. signage. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like, instead of being like, well, everyone who likes the following philosopher who died 100 years before Nazis came about is a Nazi, even though, like, you know, both Nazis liked this guy and some Nazis hated this guy and some non-Nazis hated this guy. I'm actually not trying to defend the Bola right now. It's not, it's not the, the path I'm trying to go down right now. Um, maybe Nietzsche is how I'm trying to. I don't even want to defend Nietzsche. Anyway. <laughs> 
<laughs> they can both go to the sun as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> but like, but you know, where we draw these lines, it might be different about like, okay, so like, fuck this guy, but is it fuck everyone who is inspired by this guy? And is it fuck everyone who's inspired by people who's inspired by this guy? You know, um, because like how many, how many layers removed from something do we still hate it? You know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. So nuts and bolts of conflict resolution. Can I first? Yeah, before, please do. Before please we move do. Into specifics. Mm -hmm. I, th I think the like, overarching stuff is really important because every so often I see these pushes in radical spaces to develop more skills around things like transformative justice, but no one talks about conflict resolution. No one talks about mediation, <laughs> which is wild yeah. to me. <laughs> like the reason I trained as a mediator is because I saw it as like one of the building blocks of these larger structures, but it's just not something that seems to be valued or discussed on the left for the most part. And that's baffling to me, considering how much divisiveness we face and how we all seem to agree it's a huge issue, mm -hmm. but haven't put in the work to develop the skills to like deal with it. So what we're doing is we're jumping straight to the like justice framework, which is, you know, far more, it's not inherently punitive, but like, it's 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 more antagonistic and it implies far more heavily that there's like harm that's been done and it's one directional right like which is often the case i'm not trying to claim that this is not the case quite often but but we're jumping to that rather than a lot of things that could be headed off way before they get really intense through mediation or even things that are really intense are still a mediation type thing rather than a um, transformative justice type thing is that yeah, or even just as abolitionists, if we're talking about divesting from the current system as a whole, people don't just go to court because they've been abused. You know, they go because they're in conflict with someone and want an authority figure to decide who's right and who's wrong. And so that's something we have to replace as well. <laughs> yeah, no, that Ideally makes sense. without the authority figure. <laughs> <laughs> but even like, it doesn't have to be some intense, formal, heavy thing, you know, like I've mediated for friends and it's just been like a very casual conversation. I think that normalizing it, talking about it at all would be great as the left, um, but then normalizing these practices. So just normalizing going to your roommate, your housemate, the third person and being like, hey, like we keep arguing about the fact that I want to leave my socks in the living room. <laughs> Will you just be present while we chat through this? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, why not? You know? <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm coming up with silly examples, but I'm like, mostly because I'm just not feeling very imaginative off the top of my head. But uh, I've, I've had housemates. I know how it goes. <laughs> yeah. It starts feeling really personal at a certain point, you know? <laughs> it does. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes it's like really easy to be really, really angry at this, like, heavier stuff than the larger framework of what's happening. Yeah, totally. I have a child, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking your lack of folding your own laundry personally at a certain point. 
That's because you're the authority. No, I don't want to get into that. Oh. <laughs> That's a different conversation. For a different Abolish bedtimes. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So like, well, actually, I mean, I mean, this would be an appropriate, like mediation would be an appropriate thing to do with like between you and between a, a parent and a child at, at various points also, or is that? Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite types of mediation that I do through the center is parent teen. There are different types of mediation and the type I was trained in was, is somewhere between what's called facilitative and transformative mediation. So in some scenarios, we're just hashing through a specific problem and the people aren't going to have a relationship after that. Mm-hmm. And then in other scenarios, we're actually trying to shift the relationship to make it healthier, um, which I prefer. And yeah, the family mediations tend to go in that direction, but there's a power dynamic, right? And so part of the mediator's job is to level out power imbalances, which can be really tricky, but also really cool to watch. Well, it's cool because I, I think that critiques of power are necessary, but there's always going to be different types of relationships between people with power imbalances, right? Even when like two adults are dating, you know, there's going to be power imbalances based on like different levels of societal privilege or, you know, heterosexual relationships have a massive power imbalance to start with that they have to deal with either overcome or like learn to address. So it makes sense to like personal history and like communication style. Mm -hmm. In in terms of like, if someone has a a more aggressive communication style and another person has like a a style that is triggered badly by that style of communication. Is that kind Mm -hmm. of what you're getting at? Yeah. Things like that. Okay. I remember thinking about how this has to like sort of be taught and developed. I remember being at a, a workshop once um, at a, a conference about this issue. Um, part of me is I pull a tick off of my head oh, and God. cut it with a knife. Um, okay. Ticks aside, you know, the way, the way that this needs to be taught was really laid clear to me. I was at this, this workshop and we're going through and, you know, the, person teaching the workshop was teaching about conflict resolution and things. And, and a, a friend of mine who was a, uh, I believe a kindergarten teacher, I'm not entirely certain, worked with very, very young kids. And my friend was explaining, it was like, oh, when two kids get in a conflict, like they both want a toy, you know, it's recess and only one of them gets the toy and they, they both want it. They get really excited and they run up and they're like, teacher, teacher, we have a conflict. We have to resolve it. You know? And it was this really amazing, heartwarming story. And unfortunately, most of the people at the workshop, because they didn't have enough context for what was being told in the story, were like, ah, yes, this is the wisdom of children. You know, we should all just learn from children. And then my friend came up to me later and was like, that was really frustrating. The kids do that because we taught them how to. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it... And there was a certain amount of like wisdom of children in that they hadn't specifically developed other bad habits. Like, you know, I have a lot of bad conflict habits that I don't love about myself that are ingrained to me for various purposes. But it seems like we still have to like, go ahead. Even that approach that they were excited to Mm -hmm. talk about it. Like Mm -hmm. they knew where to turn. (laughs) Mm -hmm. They knew where their resources were and they were excited to resolve it. Like imagine 
feeling that way about disagreeing with someone. One of my teachers says that every mediation is a success, meaning that regardless of whether or not people come to an agreement, the fact that they've shown up to talk about it mm-hmm. shifts something in their relationship and that is in and of itself a success. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And it also might lead to well, kind of my next question, which is like, when, well, I, was, I had it phrased as like when conflict resolution fails, you know, but it seems like sometimes you would go and be like, ah, we've heard each other out and we fucking hate each other. <laughs> or we are like, like fucking mad heard, about this thing. We've heard it like feeling hurt, being able to say your piece to someone mm-hmm. and knowing that you're in this contained space where they have heard you. Mm-hmm. and then still not agreeing with them is still a form of res- resolution, you know? Right. Like, oh, we're not going to agree on this, but right. I've had the opportunity to, like, say my part, and that's something. <laughs> yeah. No, that makes sense. It's like asking nicely before you ask meanly <laughs> in terms of, like, <laughs> on, like, a social change level, right? You know, where sure. we're, like, Hey, give us our rights. And they're like, no, we don't give you your rights. But we asked. Now we're not asking anymore. <laughs> um, and and, that, and that, that's sort of assuming one person is like right in this mediation, whereas theoretically probably both parties think they're right. But I I don't know. Yeah, I feel like sometimes I've been asked to kind of mediate informally. I, I don't have nearly the background you do, but I like rambling. And I've kind of ended up leaving this result with like being you know, no one's really asking my opinion necessarily, but I'm like, oh, probably the answer is that they hate each other. That <laughs> The answer is that like both people feel totally justified and from their own perspective, they are totally justified. And probably this won't be settled and they should stay away from each other. I don't know. It's like, at least they knew that afterward, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I've had media, or I've been present for, I've been present for many more mediations than I've actually actively mediated just because mm-hmm. of the job I had, um, mm-hmm. which is awesome because I get to see the way other people mediate and learn from that. But I've witnessed really shocking mediations where it seems like the people walk in hating each other and they don't come to an agreement. They're not going to agree, but they've the sense in the room at the end is peace, you know? They're like, ah, well, we both know we're not going to agree and why. And at least we know that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is real, right? Yeah. No, I like that because it's like, it's not trying to. Kumbaya. Said this, but yeah, they're not trying to solve everything, you know? <laughs> like some things just don't get solved. But but at least everyone knows what's happening. No, I, huh. And, and there's that detachment to, you know, the idea that one person's right and the other is wrong is something that if you're mediating, you can't, that can't be in your brain. It's mm-hmm. not your job to decide who's right and who's wrong or to even have an mm-hmm. opinion about it. <laughs> um, and there's something freeing there because suddenly you can see why both people feel they're right, like where the rightness right. is in, in both stories, which is pretty interesting. Does that end up leaving the mediator like hated by both sides often because like this person is staying no. neutral when clearly I'm right? No, and maybe this is important to talk about, but like part of, especially in a formal setting, when I open a mediation, some of the things I explain include like confidentiality and mandatory reporting stuff, but I also explain that my role is to be neutral. I'm not going to take a side. 
Mm -hmm. I'm not going to make decisions or offer opinions or advice. Like all I'm there to do is to help them communicate productively. Yeah. And I actually, I would guess that the average, not no training mediator of the things that you just said that they might fail at would be the not offering advice part, right? So it's, it's not like showing up to the, the council of elders or whatever, the people who are going to like offer their wisdom down onto you. Instead, it's really just about helping the, the people involved develop their own communication as relates to it. So it's not a, you're in no way like a, a judge or an arbiter. Is that kind of what you're saying? No, there are, so there are different types of mediation and arbitration is involved in certain types, but not the type I do and not the type that I think is useful in like community and interpersonal settings. Okay. Yeah. And it is hard sometimes to not give advice. Yeah. And when I'm like, I think people might have failed that. I'm like, no, that's probably what I failed at. <laughs> I have attempted to mediate things. I'm like, ah, I now see because I have all of the information and now I will clearly explain because I'm yeah. so wise. And then I'm like, why isn't this working? Why is everyone here? Okay. No, well, it's, yep. really, it's really hard and it takes a lot of practice. Honestly, though, when in mediations where I take a more active role, because in some mediations I don't have to, people are, people don't really need much guidance sometimes. So when they do, I find myself almost like teaching healthy communication skills through example. <laughs> and there's really not any time for me to think about offering my opinion or something like that. I'm like so busy trying to help them untangle the communication. Okay. Which seems like in a similar way that like facilitating consensus in a large group is yep. absolutely not about your own opinions about what should happen. And basically by being a facilitator in a large group, you like kind of like get your own voice removed from that particular decision. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I see it as a spectrum of skill sets, the like facilitator, the mediator, and then whatever we want to call these transformative or alternative justice. Judge Dredd. <laughs> no, wait, yeah. no, maybe not that. Okay. Uh -huh. <laughs> okay. So, which, which brings me to this idea, like, right, you're like, oh, you know, you're going to come in assuming neutrality as a mediator. Not that both sides are equal, but assuming your own neutrality to help foster communication. What about when it is like, this sounds like it would be really unhealthy if I was forced to do it with an abuser. Right. And so I, I'm under the impression that you would not use this uh, in situations of abuse. Is that mediation? Yeah. 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 And, and maybe before that um, it's expected that if a mediator doesn't feel that they can maintain appropriate neutrality, they just don't mediate the case, they pass it to someone else. So that's, you know, people are gonna have strong opinions or feel triggered by different scenarios and that's real and fine. Um, oh, I meant, I meant as a participant, I wouldn't want oh, to be, okay. you know, I, I wouldn't want to be called and am I, am I wrong in thinking that it would, it, I wouldn't want to be called into mediation with my abuser, you know? Um. Sure. Well, I mean, the, the easy answer is no. <laughs> but both restorative and transformative justice have mediation type processes 
that can be a part of these larger processes. Okay. Um, so, and maybe we don't call it mediation. Maybe we call it like a facilitated dialogue or something. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I think it's, it's a tool, right? Like mediation is a tool. <clears throat> and you have to do it differently when there's a vast power imbalance like that or when harm has been caused, but. So I guess those, how do you judge, <laughs> how do you judge when to use mediation versus um, you know, transformative justice? Like how, how do you decide when a given thing is the, the right means? That's a really big question <laughs> because <laughs> ideally I don't, right? Uh -huh. So I can tell you at the center how it works, which is that if the courts contact us and are like, we have decided that someone harmed another person, therefore this is going to be a restorative process. Like that's how we know. Right. But in this larger project on the left of developing these, these alternative systems, that's something we have to figure out. And I don't think it can happen without intact communities. Because mm -hmm. I, I, I don't think it would be an individual process. Yeah, okay. But as a mediator, if I'm in a session, maybe this is a much simpler way to answer it. If I'm in a session and someone says something about like causing physical harm to the other person, that's a like, oh, we got to stop this and shift moment. <laughs> okay. That makes sense. That is kind of one of my questions is like, do you ever like, yeah, escalate up the like response ladder? It's a terrible way of phrasing it, but yeah. There are plenty of cases that get called. So the, so the community mediation center, it's all free, right? Like anyone can call in with anything and be like, can you help me with this? <laughs> Which means there are plenty of cases that we can't mediate that we say, oh, that's, that's not an appropriate topic for us, but here are some other resources. And that would be usually cases of like clear harm having been caused. Yep. Or like certain types of conflicts just because of the way the legal system is set up. Um, like custody disagreements. We don't do at our center. It's just bureaucratic bullshit. But I think it would be similar in a community setting where different mediators are comfortable mediating different types of cases. And if something comes up within a mediation that either signals that harm has happened or that isn't suitable for that particular mediator, you just stop and find someone else to help. <laughs> okay. Like we all have different skill sets, you know? And what you said about it requiring intact communities to be able to, to effectively do this kind of thing, the, you know, the more transformative justice element of it, it's kind of interesting to me, right? Because then that's something that it seems to me that intact communities relies on conflict uh, resolution and conflict resolution and mediation and all of the things that you've been talking about. So it, it's sort of a, chicken egg oh i was thinking almost of like a like building a building you know like a, mm -hmm. a pyramid a traditional representation of hierarchy but in this case represented from <laughs> the bottom up you know where like the strong base of a community is not it's like justice system but instead it's like conflict resolution and the ability for diverse opinions to coexist um and there's the general ability for people to coexist because people implies diverse opinions unless you live in some hellscape uh, yeah. ideological bubble. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense.
No, it's interesting because then this answers the question of how do you um, supplant the justice system, which is an important <laughs> question. You support people in developing skill sets like this, which I was thinking about it before this interview and remembering when I was so so. I don't get paid to mediate. That's part of the neutrality. But the initial 40-hour training I took cost money because it's a nonprofit, very poor mediation center. <laughs> and you were one of the people who, who you gave me like 50 bucks or something. No. And you said, you messaged me, you said something to the effect of like, oh, I'm giving you money. This is like a skill that I think we need in more radical spaces. And I was like, fuck yeah. This market person seems pretty cool. <laughs> cool. Yeah. I don't remember that, but I believe you. <laughs> I don't remember a lot of things, dear listener. Uh, that's one of my skill sets is that I don't remember things. Um, that can be a blessing, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. It's like, I, you know, it, it helps me really live in the present, you know, because it's all just fog in front of me and behind me. <laughs> Um, I have impressions, impressions of what's ahead and impressions of what came before. No, that's great. I mean, how common are these types of organizations? Like you have one in your town. Is it, do I have one in, well, I don't have one in my town. There's 500 people who live in my town. I'm only really familiar with my state. So I'm in Oregon and we have a network of community dialogue resource centers. I'm so okay. bad at acronyms. Uh, there's a whole network all over Oregon and each center works to some extent with the current justice system, uh, depending on where they are in their resources. Uh, but they also offer free community mediation and it's really easy in my state to get training. Like at my center, you can, if you speak Spanish and are willing to volunteer as a bilingual mediator, you can get training for free. Like it's, it's oh, a pretty accessible, accessible yeah. thing, but I'm not sure about other States. Like the agreement we have with the justice system to do these restorative processes for youth offenders is pretty unique. Apparently like it's a, it's a test test run <laughs> that's been going on for years, but I, I don't think that's necessarily common. I mean, it's so basically a way that, some elements of the justice system are trying to move towards an actual reasonable model away from the incarceration and punitive model. Is that what you're? Yeah. Yeah. And it's been because people at these community dialogue and resource centers have pushed really hard for the state to implement these programs here. But there's also, I mean, mediate.com <laughs> has really good classes you can just take on mediation. You can get I have a whole, I'm looking at it. I realize this is not a video recording, but I have a whole bookshelf full of books on mediation. AK Press has put out, you know, there there are lots of resources on mediation mm -hmm. that are accessible if people want to explore the skill set. Would you saying. be able to provide a few of those links for our show notes? Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Thanks. So okay, my my last like question. I want to I want to take take you on this journey where we imagine, <laughs> you know, a society without the state, whether because we win or because we lose, depending on how, you know, like like how do you want to look at it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, obviously, like this is a 
it's not gonna be like some wingnut thing for people to, for me to suddenly be like, what if there was an apocalypse, right? Since y'all are listening to Live Like the World is Dying. Um, <laughs> I kind of want to ask you about the role of, and I know a lot of it's implied, but what we talked about, but like the role of conflict resolution in terms of community preparedness, if you have like thoughts around that. It didn't really end with a question mark. <laughs> That's fine. Um, that's hard for me to answer because it feels like a given like community preparedness means that we need functional intact communities which means we have to have systems that could look all sorts of different ways right mm -hmm. but we like have passive to have aggressive systems. notes <laughs> that's one way <laughs> uh -huh. but we have to have systems for working through conflict or else we do not have functional communities and maybe it different communities choose to do that in different ways. This is just like one particular tool or skill set um, that's very adaptable. So if the state is abstraction of power, right? Mm -hmm. Away from ourselves, basically the existence of the state, the long standing existence of the state is probably a huge part of what leads us to this conflict avoidance that you talk about, like causes these problems. We're so used to relying on the state to handle our conflicts for us by calling armed people who like putting people in cages. And so basically, it, do you ever have those moments where like you've been an anarchist for a long time and then you still end up with these like obvious <laughs> epiphanies that like seem yes. really obvious when you say them out loud, but still feel like epiphanies. That's what I'm having right now about this because I'm like, Oh, this is everything. This is the foundation, which is also what you just said. I'm, I'm saying that's this back to you. That's why it's so baffling to me that, I've searched for years for collectives, groups, any any individuals, anyone offering these skills in radical spaces. And it's so hard to find. And that's wild to me. It's so wild. <laughs> and that doesn't mean people aren't doing it. Right. Um, but it just doesn't seem to be of high value. I wonder if it's like, because people, because I have seen a lot of groups and I'm, I'm glad there are groups that focus on transformative justice, right? But that's the top of this pyramid of needs, my hierarchy of needs that I've created because I love hierarchy. <laughs> Such a good anarchist. <laughs> I know. I, I wonder if it's kind of similar to how like, it's a lot easier to find like armed anarchist organizations that'll teach you how to shoot guns and like harder to find ones that'll teach you how to like immediate conflict resolve. Like someone angrily comes into your, you know, I, and often I'm, I'm the individuals do this, right? Like uh, there was a time, I don't know if this person listens to this podcast, but a friend of mine was at some anarchist screening at, at some info shop and some angry guy comes in and starts yelling this and that about, I think trans people. And my friend who's trans was just like, Hey man, you want to go outside and have a cigarette with me? And just like went outside and talked to the guy and he yeah. calmed down and left. And like, yeah. and my friend carries, right? But like, it's so much easier to find information about the, the nuclear option, the, the, you know, the escalated version than it is to find resources about the, hey man, you want to step outside with me, have a conversation. Yeah, those soft skills are really devalued um, because of the way our society. <laughs> what? What if there was like a word to describe that type? <laughs> Would you call it patriarchy? <laughs> Right. Yeah, I mean, who who did people used to go to, right? Was it like grandma or like 
you know, the people we devalue <laughs> at yeah. this point. Yeah. 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 Well, I, you know, it's, it's hard. I don't know where to go from. Oh, okay. Like now we understand the entire basis of an anarchy society and a society <laughs> without the state basically means that we have to learn how to um, stop putting this not on other people because obviously we need other people we need society to help us do this but stop putting it on this like legalized abstraction that's off in the distance so there i mean there are interpersonal skills we all need to develop right around communication but if we're talking about people actually filling these roles that we need we have to actually figure out how to support people in developing those skills and like value their skill set yeah so how do we um, how do we do that well you did it for me i was like hey internet oh, i need money for this training and you were like here's 50 bucks this is important <laughs> i was like thanks <laughs> <laughs> um, this part is that was probably a couple of years ago when i had substantially like i've i've since i think people who listen to this know that i've since like started a nonprofit job and like have more money than i used to oh this was like 2016. yeah, yeah okay 2016. yeah okay but okay so like so people can go and get trainings and people can bring this kind of information to their communities both by doing it but also by maybe like spreading the skills but people could be setting up like informal collectives or formal collectives or something to, to kind of like work on fostering these types of skills like what 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 else can we do just talking about it more i mean i i remember what was i oh i guess i can't talk about this on the internet i was doing uh, seasonal labor that grants one a lot of spare time to talk and the people i was doing this blueberry seasonal harvest labor, yes blueberry harvest the people i was doing the seasonal labor with were like hey what if we all listen to to Rosenberg's lectures on nonviolent communication and then practice? Because we got time to kill. And we were like, all right. So we all, I mean, and there's a lot to say about NBC and its flaws, but um, we agreed to do this as a group and just sat around and practiced arguing using NBC okay. <laughs> until we got comfortable. Like, I, it's hard to, it's hard to like write us a, uh, prescription for people to normalize something like this, right? But the the solution is that we have to normalize it somehow. No, that makes sense. Well, do you have any any final thoughts on conflict resolution or things that we didn't talk about that we, we should have talked about? Um, it's really important. We won't function as a society without it. <laughs> <laughs> Whether it's mediation or some, some similar skill. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Google mediation centers where you are. I chances are there there's one somewhere in your state or wherever you're listening from. Yeah, I think we sometimes try to reinvent the wheel all the time uh, within radical subcultures. Yeah. I can't speak to other ones besides the anarchist one because that's the one I participate in the most. But we, I think sometimes we like only look to existing anarchist projects as like the realm of what's possible and that seems nonsensical yeah actually that reminds me so the the center where i work is is not politically affiliated right i'm like the youngest person there it's mostly a bunch of retired folks and uh -huh. <laughs> have various political leanings which we don't talk about 
And there's something to be said for working in spaces like that and learning these skills in spaces like that because we don't live in an anarchist society right now, which means that we need to be able to navigate conflict with people who aren't anarchists. And so yeah. if two people are in conflict and they aren't anarchists and I approach them and say, hey, I'm an anarchist mediator, that then suddenly I'm not neutral or like a, a useful resource, right? Right. So it's not that I think we shouldn't have anarchist mediation collectives. I'm just saying that I don't think people should shy away from these apolitical resources because they're really valuable still. There's this thing I learned yesterday while doing research for my other podcast that you can check out. It's called Cool People and Big Cool Stuff. It comes out every Monday and Wednesday. Okay. And, um, uh, <laughs> oh, I know what you're going to say. And yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So like I, I learned about this thing where you know, I, I have infinite respect for the, the Jane Collective, right? Um, the people who in the late 60s, early 70s in Chicago is a collective that ended up including more than 100 different people, women working as abortionists uh, illegally before Roe v. Wade. And for some reason, that's on a lot of people's minds right now. But then I mm -hmm. discovered looking back um, that in the 1920s and early 30s in Germany, Cassandra's already heard this, uh, <laughs> there was all of these non-politically affiliated organizations of illegal birth control advocates and abortionists all over Germany. There was more than 200 of these groups and they were non-politically aligned, but it was almost all syndicalists, anarchist syndicalists uh, coming from a specific union, the acronym of which I forget off the top of my head. <laughs> um, F-A-U-D, actually, I now remember it. And it's like the Free Workers Union of Germany or something. And even though they did a lot of organizing and propaganda as anarchists in the, in the rest of their lives, the abortion clinics were not an anarchist project because that wasn't the point of it. And they weren't there to recruit and they weren't, they were just there because people needed to have access to birth control and abortions. And I could imagine mediation, you know, if I was forming an anarchist mediation collective, if it was like, we are the anarchist mediation collective it would maybe be for the anarchists, but if it was like, we are anarchists doing this mediation collective and we're willing to tell you we're anarchists, but it is not about anarchism. I don't know. Is that? Yeah, totally. I mean, I, re I remember during my first training, going up to one of the directors and asking, I don't remember what question I asked, but it was something about like, what we're talking about sounds like prison abolition, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, and like, there's a particular cent uh, mediation center in my area that is politically affiliated. And I was asking him if I should try volunteering with that center or with one of the non-affiliated centers. And he said, definitely one of the non-affiliated centers, because the whole point of this, if we're actually abolishing the prison industrial complex, is to get everyone to divest from it, which means everyone needs access, which means we don't want to turn them off because we say we're liberals or anarchists or whatever. Yeah. Um, I, I say liberal because he was probably a liberal, but sure. You know. Yeah. 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 Now that that makes a lot of sense to me. It's interesting. It challenges a lot of like the presuppositions I have about like when it is and isn't useful to identify projects politically. But I think that makes a really strong case um, because the point has never been from my point of view to create little weird pure bubbles 
Those, as we yeah. talked about, creating where your bubbles is just, they're just going to destroy themselves. Much like bubbles, when you blow bubbles, they don't last. Well, and even like, if you create this weird peer bubble, what if someone, what if you're in conflict with someone outside that bubble? Is that person going to trust a mediator who is strictly inside that bubble? <laughs> no, then no. we just go break their windows, no matter what happened. Right. <laughs> even, if, even if our friend's the one at fault. You know, if I get in an argument with my Catholic, Republican, anti-Semitic neighbor across the street, mm -hmm. even if I might prefer an anarchist mediator, mm -hmm. that's not something he's going to agree to. Therefore, the mediation won't happen. And therefore, it's not productive. So. Right. Yeah. And and even then, like, if you have a mediator who's specifically there to be on your side, you don't have a mediator. You yeah. have an advocate, I guess. Which is important. Advocates yeah. are really important, but that's different. <laughs> different skill set. <laughs> yeah. No, totally. I mean, and then you get into the like, since you can't enter someone into transformative justice if they don't want to and if they're not part of a community, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes like, I remember there was an instance where to abstract this as far as I possibly can while the story's still <laughs> making sense where an anarchist went on a really bad date with a guy who wasn't an anarchist. And then like 30 people in black block showed up outside his house with megaphones and scared the ever living shit out of him. And I think he was a little bit more careful from then on. Um, yep. But different techniques for different scenarios. Right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like not everything should resort to violence or the threat of violence, but also not everything. I think that is, I think that's one of the things that turns people off from a lot of mediation uh, is that I think that yeah. people see it applied at times when sometimes like, you know, maybe just like direct conflict is the actual answer to certain types of problems, you know, but not that, not that many of them. Well, in mediation, when it's done well, I, I see the same mm -hmm. argument around nonviolent communication, um, which I, I think Rosenberg was brilliant i think that or is he like i don't know anyway i don't know i think the way it's applied often is horrible but i see this a similar argument around mediation and nbc and and um where those tools can be utilized to uh, like tone police or silence people mm -hmm. etc but mediation one of the foundations of mediation is that it's a consensual process which means that if someone's in a mediation and is like, oh, this doesn't feel good to me anymore. This is like some boundaries been crossed or I'm not comfortable with the way I'm being asked to communicate or whatever. They just stop the process. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, I wish yeah. I could have done that with like, I have such negative connotations for NBC because I feel like the times it just gets, it's, it's just been like weaponized against me by people who are totally. like, making me cry and then being at, asking why I'm communicating so meanly while I'm crying because of the things that they're saying to me or whatever, you know, same, uh, same. <laughs> <laughs> so like when I, when I actually read Rosenberg, I'm like, Oh, <laughs> yeah. that's not what he was describing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. The spirit of the law, the spirit of the, the idea often gets stripped away and left with the, the letter of it. Yeah. I've also had so many jobs where I've had so many bosses who were like hippies using NBC to just mm -hmm. like gaslight the shit out of you, you know? Yeah. I hear yeah. you feel this way, but 
I'm still your boss and we'll fire you. <laughs> you know? <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, I think that <laughs> we've covered every single thing about mediation and ever. Yeah. Um, Anyone no can go out and mediate now, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, just make sure to stick your own opinions in. Anyone is free to leave at any point. I'll, they will just be excised from the community. Uh, and passive aggression is the logical response to everything. What else do we got? Gossip with your friends about everything you hear in a mediation so they can cancel each other. Oh, yep, definitely. Um, and it's really good to uh, not only block people on social media, but then yell at everyone else to block the person on social media. Getting anything? Uh, sarcastically so. make fun of things that people do in order to defend themselves from really bad things that happen. I understand why people do these things sometimes. <laughs> it just gets out of hand. Different different tools for different scenarios. <laughs> yeah, totally. All right. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on. Um, is there anything you want to shout out or plug or draw people's attention towards here at the end of the episode? <laughs> um, maybe this... I don't know, publishing project called Strangers in a Tangled Wilderness. Oh, are you part of a publishing have you project? Of, have you heard of that? <laughs> Strangers in the Tangled Wilderness, tangledwilderness.org, the publishing yeah. collective that you and I are both part of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we could call that out. <laughs> okay. Yeah, if um, this podcast is, is published by Strangers in the Tangled Wilderness, and we also publish a monthly zine. We're publishing a bunch of books this year. Um, and we're really just, it's a project that's been around in one incarnation or another for about 20 years, but we're like really kind of kickstarting it, no pun intended with the company uh, yeah. this year and trying to give it a, a good push and we have a bunch of stuff coming out. If you like podcasts now, there's an audio version of each zine each month. Oh yeah. What's it called? Oh shit! Isn't it it's just called, called strange? Yeah. <laughs> okay. mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is our job. <laughs> yeah, totally, we're very professional. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, uh, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, you should learn how to mediate or don't learn how to mediate and just walk like a wrecking ball through communities and tell everyone what you think. I guess I've already made enough sarcastic jokes this episode. Mediation is really cool and you should look into it. You can also support this podcast. The main way you can do that is by telling people about it. You can tell people about it on the internet or in person. Those are the only two spaces that exist. I think. But either way, you'd be helping us out. You can also support us uh, directly by supporting us on Patreon. Our Patreon is patreon.com slash strangers in a tangled wilderness. And depending, we put up content every month. Uh, we have now two podcasts, this one and the podcast Strangers in a Tangled Wilderness. We publish a lot of fiction. We will be publishing some poetry, some role-playing game content, also some essays, memoir, history, you name it. And in particular, I'd like to thank Mickey, Nicole, David, Dana, Chelsea, Starro, Jennifer, Eleanor, Natalie, Kirk, Micaiah, Nora, Sam, Chris, and Haas the dog. Uh, you all are amazing and make all of this possible with strangers. Uh, well, this podcast, you should 
being just me, but now it's going to be coming out more regularly thanks to all the hard work of all the people who work behind the scenes. So thank you for supporting them and thank you people who are behind the scenes for doing that also. Anyway, I hope you're doing as well as you can with everything that's happening and I will be back soon.